Hey guys, I'm Adam Rappaport, and this is the Bonapete Foodcast. All right, up first this week, we have on associate editor Hillary Cadigan, uh, who is chatting with her longtime chef crush, Nina Compton. Uh, Nina is the James Beard Award-winning chef owner of Bywater American Bistro in Compare Le Pain in New Orleans. Nina talks about what it was like to grow up in St. Lucia, cooking with her grandmother, uh, the experience of being a competitor on Top Chef, with the legendary Leah Chase as a judge, and plenty more. And after that, I chat and drink uh, with associate editor Alex Delaney, uh, who showed up on set with a tray of cocktails that he is going to be making till the end of summer. The Lil Ripper, the Siesta, and the Spaghetti. You'll have to listen to find out what is in each. Oh, one announcement before we get started. BA just launched a very cool new thing, a merch shop. That is right. We are now making very cool t-shirts and hats with a lot more things coming in the near future. You can check it out at shop.bonappetit.com. Give it a look. We appreciate it. All right. Here's the show. Okay, today we're here with Nina Compton of New Orleans, a chef that I have loved from afar for a really long time. I actually, this is kind of the first time we're meeting in person, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, we met very briefly yes. at, at another time, and we've spoken on the phone. But full disclosure, I wrote a little story in print <laughs> and digitally that began with the sentence, my crush on Nina Compton started from afar, but totally wasn't creepy, I swear. <laughs> so it's really cool of her to be here after I wrote such a creepy yes. thing about her and how I'm I was facing, obsessed with I'm her. facing my crush. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is very awkward. There's a lot of tension in this room right now. No, I'm just kidding. But um, yeah, so we're here to just kind of chat. Yeah. yeah. And you're from St. Lucia. Yeah. How old were you when you left? I was 16, yeah. Okay. 16 when I left. Yeah. yeah. What's your first food memory? What was it like growing up there? My first food memory, I would say, is growing up in the Caribbean and spending weekends on the beach with my family. That was a very big thing. Like every weekend, we go to the beach. Mm-hmm. And we'd always bring like fruit, oranges, mangoes, this and that. So my first like real food memory is like going into the into the ocean and like dipping a beautiful ripe mango in the salt water and having a bite. Mm-hmm. That was that is like my when I think about my childhood, it's it's that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's nothing else but just family time on the beach. I mean we would be at the beach from like ten AM till sundown. I'm, and my mom like, We gotta go and I'm like, No mom, I wanna stay, I wanna stay but that was just like and we would never get tired of going to the beach. Mm-hmm. And you lived right near the beach so it's like We lived nice yeah, pretty much you can see the beach um, we live on a hill that oversees um, Pigeon Island, but you can see the ocean. So that's something that's very, very dear to me. I love being close to the water. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And and what did your family do? Like, who was was there a sh- was there a chef in the family that taught you? Not so much a chef. It was more of, um, my grandmother, and my mom. Mm-hmm. My grandmother was a retired nurse, and, and as she got older, my mom said, like, just come live with us, and you know, just just be close to the family. So every morning she would be up first one up making like you know tea and she'd be sitting out eating breakfast and then she'd like plan a whole day like okay we're gonna have chicken today and she'll get the chicken ready and she'll like cut the onions and start making a stock so it's like that was her life was just like cooking and like organizing the meals for the day Mm -hmm. as I got old I went like oh my granny you want to help I'll cut the onions for you I'll pick the parsley or do stuff like that so that was a really important part for me because we became very close Mm -hmm. you know over the years it was just like 
not just picking parsley, but it was like, okay, now we're gonna do a Christmas lunch together and like, what can I do? And then it just became more and more of, that was our our bond, was being in the kitchen together. Mm-hmm. And you said your grandma was from England, is England, that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so how did how did she get to St. Lucia? Oh, my, my, my grandma, she's brave because she, she met my grandfather, she was a nurse and my grandfather's a doctor. Mm-hmm. And um, they both were there during the war. And she would tell me some crazy stories about rationing food because there was, there was, there was just no food. It was like you'd get like a can of corned beef and that was like luxury. Mm-hmm. Um, so you hear these crazy stories of just like the appreciation of having a good meal or a hot meal. And my grandfather had finished school and he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going back to St. Lucia. And my grandmother fell in love with him and she said, I'm going to come with you. And he's like, well, okay. And there were no planes. They were like, we, not like how we travel now. We can just jump on a plane and eight hours here in a different country. So she had to take a boat that um, brought bananas from the Caribbean to England. Wow. And they would they would do it like every every two weeks. And it's 10 days you're at sea. And they had these small little cabins where it's like three or four cabins where you pay a, a fare. But you basically stay on this banana boat for 10 days. Wow. And she did that. <laughs> Not ever being to Sunshine, you can't research, you can't Google, you know, this is the 40s. And she was just like, I love this guy. I'm going to ride this banana and boat she, for 10 days. And she did it. And she got there. And she was just like, oh, my God. Because it was, back then, there was, it, it was just very rustic. You know, there weren't, people didn't have cars. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one or two people might have cars on the island. So to get around, you had to take a water taxi. And it was just not developed. And she was just like, what is this food? I, I, I don't know what this is. I don't know what flying fish is. I don't know, you know, how to cook, you know, green bananas. Like, well, she, she was just culture shocked. Yeah. And also the way that people cooked, there were not any electric stoves. A gas stove was like a luxury. And they cooked on a coal pot. And my grandmother would tell me, she's like, you know, Every day I'd wake up and she's like, I'm English. Mm -hmm. We love to have our cup of tea in the morning. And she's like, I would have to light a fire, put a pot on, make it boil. And that's how I'd make my tea. It's like 45 minutes, you know, like to make everything from start to finish. Mm -hmm. And I just can't fathom like having to go through that, you know, and just have no heads up. It's just like, she just did it. Yeah. You know, and she also embraced, um, the food and the cuisine and the culture of everything because it's, you know, when you don't know anything about that, you just have to find out the hard way kind of, mm-hmm. which she did. Was there someone there teaching her how to cook or did she just, I mean, cause you said your grandfather was originally from St. Lucia yeah. and came to England and then they went back together. And then together. he went back, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they, once my, once they got married and had a, a family, um, they had a housekeeper and she was the one that kind of showed my grandmother how to like, cook like a local mm-hmm. um, so they would go to the market and get like the fish and the chicken and everything else and they would just say this is how we do it here so she kind of caught on pretty quickly mm-hmm. and did she have particular dishes that like became her specialties she loved cooking flying fish flying fish is it's a small fish that's actually quite flat mm-hmm. and you, you typically just fillet it and then you flour it and then you fry it 
And she used to do that with like a lemon parsley sauce. And that, that was her thing. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, she's like, I want to treat you today. We're going to have flying fish for lunch. I'm like, okay, <laughs> granny, you do that. <laughs> Did you like that as a kid? Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> yeah. I miss it. I, it's it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So why? So when you were 16, you know, what, what made your family move? Because we had that England connection. My mm-hmm. mom wanted us to experience, you know, going to school in England. Mm. So we did our final year, final two years of high school in England. So that was a little bit of a culture shock for me because I was 16 and it sounded very exciting. I'm like, oh, I get to live in a different country and I get to see all these things. And my mom was there the first, you know, couple of weeks that I was there. And I'm like, this is great, mom. You know, I'm making all these friends. And then she's like, I got to go back to St. Lucia. And I'm like, no, don't leave me. And I'm like, and then I got really sad and depressed because you're 16 years old and you're, it seems like fun, but then it's like you had to figure out things pretty quickly by yourself because you can't be like, oh, mom, can you pick me up? Can I, can you do this? You had to really grow up pretty quickly. Yeah. So for me, it was, I became very independent very quickly. And you I, were just there on your own? I was there by myself. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Like- so you had to really fend for yourself and also surround yourself with other people. I, I had a very strong connection with a lot of international students because we were going to the same things. Mm-hmm. We didn't have family here. We didn't have any friends. So I had friends from Egypt, uh, friends from South Africa, friends from Russia. So we we are all like going through this together and we would share different stories about food and you know what was christmas like you know in their countries and things like that because we were just like we're we're homesick mm-hmm. you know so we all had each other's back in that in that sense yeah and like you know no offense to the british but i assume there was a bit of a rude awakening there from like caribbean food right to like, right oh british food well actually it wasn't bad because i love <laughs> i love fish and chips okay so that, that there you was, go. <laughs> i i think i gained like I must have been like twenty pounds. I, I mean, I was I was chubby. Yeah. Because I was just like, I don't get this at home. <laughs> I want as, as many cream pies as possible. Yeah. And yeah, There's I no I, vegetables here. We just yeah, eat. fish and chips, yeah. Yorkshire pudding. You know, it was it was good. I, so I you were down with the British food. Yeah, like, I, I right. was just like, because the thing is, you know, when you come from, you know, where where, where is from the states or the Caribbean. You take some things for granted until mm-hmm. those things are taken away from you or you don't have them as frequently. So when I whenever I come home, I would appreciate, you know, going into the garden and getting fresh fruit, you know, or getting like coconut water. Like that's every time I go home, I there's a coconut man that has a pick a pickup truck and it's just a mound of coconuts. Yep. And you just go and you say, How many coconuts do you want? Ten? And you just pours it in and you eat the jelly. And for me, I, I can't get enough of that. Mm-hmm. But growing up, you just took it for granted. Yeah, you know? totally. Like I tell my mom, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, she's like, oh, you know, the mango tree, it's mango season, there's so many mangoes on the ground because we just can't keep up. And I'm like, I would kill for that right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody so, would. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it's one of, I mean, I, I lived in Thailand for three years and oh, it was wow. the same thing where like, you know, you'd walk down the street and there was the, the baby coconut seller. Like yeah. you only sold the little babies, which were like the perfect, you know, the meat was so tender and the drink, like, yeah. and then you come here and it's like, well, 
It's not no, the same. No. A, fresh coke, yeah. a fresh Coke and that it cannot beat anything that you get in a can or a bottle. It's not the same. No, I've been searching for it ever since. The yeah. closest I've come is that like pressed coconut. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like kind of, at least it's got the chunks in it. It's but not it's the just, same. It's no. not the same. Yeah. And you get that like full body craving where you're just right. like, I need that right now and I don't know what else yeah. to do. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. So how long were you in, in England? Two years. Okay. After two years, I came back home and I think just living in a bigger country you know, I didn't know what I was gonna do. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, well, you should think about university and all these things. And at that time, agriculture was a very big um, industry back home. Tourism hadn't really taken off then. So that just seemed like a natural thing that, you know, if I studied, like, I'd have a job to come back to. And I looked at universities and then I'm like, do I really wanna do this? And I remember I came home on holiday break and um, I was helping my grandmother in the kitchen. And I'm like, okay, Let's plan Christmas the Christmas meal, and we did everything. And I just took the reins, and I'm like, I'm gonna take care of everything, I'm gonna do all these things. And I remember just seeing the reaction from how happy my family was, and we were just having a good time, it was just company, and we sat outside of our veranda and just like, just hung out and just ate and just drank wine, and just, just we are just having a good time. Mm-hmm. And you know, I told my mom, I'm like, I think I wanna, I wanna cook, and she's like, you sure you want to do that? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why not? It's fun, you know, you can learn so many different things and it's, I can travel the world. And she's like, listen, you are gonna be stressed out, no holidays off, no weekends, da da da, schedule's gonna change. She's like, it's hot, it's stressful, you're gonna burn yourself, you're gonna cut yourself. And I'm like, mom, I'm like, I have to at least try. And she's like, okay, fine. She's like, I'll make some phone calls. So she calls um, the owners of Sandals Resorts and she said, my daughter wants to be in the kitchen. And he's like, oh, are you sure she wants to do that? And he's like, he's like, that's exactly what I told Nina. Like, that, is she sure? <laughs> and I remember it was, again, Christmas time. There I am peeling carrots and onions and I'm chopping away, like very sad, just thinking, you know, my whole family is like opening gifts and having a good old time. <laughs> and no here holidays <laughs> for me anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I remember I came home and I was so sad. And my mom is like, you see, I told you. And then it's like, once I got through that first Christmas, I was fine. <laughs> I did that for a year. And then I felt like I wasn't moving up. And I told the the general manager of the hotel, I said, listen, I, I want to go to a different property. And he said, well, where do you want to go? And I said, I th- I think I want to live in Jamaica for like, you know, a year, six months, whatever you, whatever you think is, is fitting. Mm-hmm. And I did a year and I, I loved it so much. And I'm just like, I'm like, can I extend it for one more year? And I had just a blast living in Jamaica because the people were so much fun. It was a different island. I was learning different things. And I did the same thing where I did all the stations, all the restaurants, and I kind of felt like I hit a ceiling. And I told my chef and I'm like, I feel like I can't move up. I'm like, I've done everything, but I feel like I'm just stuck. Mm-hmm. And he had gone to the CIA in New York and he said, well, go to culinary school, either Johnson Wales or CIA. And I came back and I told my parents, I'm like, I think the next step is culinary school. And I did that. And that again was eye-opening because it was in Hyde Park in the middle of nowhere and winters were brutal. And I was just like, this is, I'll just get through this. And then, you know, it's because my whole thing was too that I didn't, I didn't have a green card or anything else. So I was on a student visa. So I only had a limited amount of time here. So I said, you know, if I'm gonna be here, I wanna learn from the best. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't have that much time. 
you know, so I couldn't really pick and choose and say, well, I'm going to do, you know, two months here, this month. I, I want things to matter and make sense. So at that time, you know, French food was the everything. And, you know, I said, if I'm going to learn from somebody, I wanted to work for Daniel Balloud. Mm. And that was a really eye-opening experience because it was such an intense kitchen. Yeah. What was and that like? What was it was intense. I mean, I, stories. I, <laughs> you know, looking back on it, it's, you have to have a really thick skin. And I think that it was just, there was no, there was no making a mistake there. I was young, you know, yeah. so it was like my first real like intense New York experience and it was at this restaurant that was you know the, the highest of the high mm -hmm. and you go in and you you feel you're stressed out all the time but I, I did learn a lot and you know Alex Lee was the chef de cuisine at the time and I learned a lot just by watching him because he wasn't very chatty in the kitchen but he was just very focused mm -hmm. and he was just like we're gonna do everything right. Mm -hmm. Like everybody was on the same page. So I think for me, working in that environment kind of set a tone for me. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my goal of just like learning from the best and like just because I didn't plan being in this country, I've been here for almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't really my plan. My yeah. plan was just to do a couple of years and go back home and open a restaurant on the beach. Yeah. Um, but that's gonna flip flop because that's my retirement plan. No, that's <laughs> still the plan. Yeah, just pushing it back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Still, still the plan. <laughs> so, did like working in a resort kitchen? I imagine it's like a totally different experience it's, than working. Yeah, in a, it's kind of like you're part of an army in that case. Being in a resort, it's more like it's like different classrooms, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but you know, when you're in, in an independent restaurant that is focused on service and everybody knows what's going on. Whereas being in a resort, it's more spread out. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was actually a good experience to have that that hotel experience at, at a young age and then going to an independent restaurant. You know, it, it, I think it, it keeps you a little more versatile than just being one way. Mm -hmm. And then what made you decide to stay? You were like, and like, and how were you able to stay? Well, I got sponsored through my sister. Mm -hmm. um, but I saw it as, you know, I loved you know, being in, in New York for that time, but it was just, it was too cold. Yeah, I, I couldn't deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to work with Norman Van Aken because, you know, this is early 2000s and he he was doing something that I, I could relate to. He was cooking with a lot of Caribbean ingredients, you know, a lot of tropical ingredients um, at a very high level. And I'm like, this he's doing stuff that I would never think of, mm -hmm. you know, just using yucca and using conch and all these things that nobody was using. And I'm like, I want to, I want to work with him. Mm -hmm. And I actually, it was very hard to get into that kitchen because he had a line out the door of people to just applying. And finally I got the call to saying, you know, we do have a spot. If you're interested, you know, come on down. And I was there with, you know, almost two years. And it was just one of those things where I just wanted to just get my hands in, in all the different cuisines and just really excel and try and learn as much as I can. So hopefully that one day I can apply all those different techniques, you know, in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. And and so did you feel like you learned new, like you were kind of seeing Caribbean cooking from a different angle? Yeah, there? It, it was, you know, he really refined humble ingredients that I grew up with, mm -hmm. you know, just things that we just don't really do at home, but he took the foundation of the ingredients or the flavor profiles and said, okay, this is how we take it to the next level. 
and it was just really eye-opening to see that and it was very refreshing because it always I think that that kitchen was very instrumental in what I am doing now because Mm -hmm. I always kept in the back of my mind you know his techniques and the way he used ingredients that I grew up with yeah was there a particular one that you remember that you were like oh this can be used like this well yeah I mean he did he did this conch chowder um that is just I still dream about that dish (laughs) it it's it's simple you know but he used habaneros and orange juice and he put a little saffron in there which we don't really use but it, it really has this kind of special flavor profile um when he tried collectively it's delicious yeah mm-hmm. so then what so then what happened next how did you end up in new orleans were you back uh, in the caribbean for a while no first, I, I, just... I was i got stuck in miami 14 years yeah uh you know i think it was just the lifestyle of being on the beach and tropical and and not so stressful mm-hmm. um, how did it how did my how does miami compare like cooking in miami compared to cooking in the caribbean it's similar yeah it's it's similar but it's also different at the same time um but it's also it's very relatable because you have every caribbean island possible Mm -hmm. you know or latin american um, country too so you have this big melting pot of haitian jamaican trinidad um guyanese dominican puerto rican cuban el salvador uh, Mexico, like everything is all mixed up. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of similar things, but you see a lot of different things as well. Mm-hmm. So that was great for me. And I think that's what was nice because you could just pick and choose if you're going to have, you know, a Colombian lunch today and just experience that. So that was that was fun. But, you know, I just got, I just felt like, I'm like, is Miami the last stop for me? Right. And I'm like, I'm I'm too young to just like say this is it. And... You know, when I did Top Chef, that was my first time going to New Orleans, and I had never experienced that. But I, I remember driving through the French Quarter in the Garden District. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, look at all these beautiful houses, and you see like musicians playing in the French Quarter. So for me, it was very captivating, mm-hmm. and I think the culture for me was really similar to the Caribbean, but it was also very different. And New Orleans has a special feel where you don't feel like you're in the States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And it it's just a, a fun environment and people about life. And and I said, I'm like, if I'm going to make somewhere my last stop, this would be it. Mm-hmm. So how did the Top Chef thing happen? Because whenever I watch that show, I'm just like, I cannot imagine a more hellacious thing than yeah. being on the show. I don't know why anyone would ever choose to do this. Like, what made well, you be like, yep, I'm going to do this. Let's it, go. The funny thing is that they called me up and I I think I, I froze. I froze for a second. I'm like, I need to think about this. I'm like, I I have a full time job. I just can't pick up and leave for, you know, for six to eight weeks. You know, it's what if I get what if I don't have a job when I come back? Mm-hmm. Um, so I told him I'll think about it. And I called my mom and I'm like, Mom, I'm like, I got a chance to do this show. And I'm like, you know, it's a hundred grand to win. And she's like, well, what if you lose? And I'm like, Oh my yeah, that's true. That that that's that's possible. <laughs> yeah. That's a big possibility. And then she's like, she's like, but it's too it's too stressful. And she's like, I'll never watch the show if you if you're on it. <laughs> she told me that she's like, I'll never watch. She's like, I can't. Eat. She's like, even if you tell me, I still can't watch it. <laughs> I love this as your mom's just like recurring anthem. Like it's gonna be really stressful. <laughs> you should probably not do it. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna do it. Right. <laughs> so I told her, and I'm like, I'm like, mom, I'm like, I could win. I said also. It could be good exposure to let people know about who I am, 
what island I'm from. Because a lot of people don't know where St. Lucia, they pe- they all, people always think it's part of the Virgin Islands, and it's not. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I could really just give people just a little bit of education here. And I told her, I'm like, I'm like yeah, mom, I, th- I think I'm gonna do it. And the process to get, you know, screened and then finally called back, it, it's a long time. And it was actually a fun experience. I think that really, yeah, it, no, it, it was. It was. It's not easy. It's it's very stressful. Yeah. It, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done uh-huh. because you cannot prepare for that. I mean, I when they said, okay, you're gonna be in New Orleans for Top Chef, and I did all my research. They were like, my mom is like, she's like, if you're gonna go to New Orleans, she's like, you know how you have to learn how to cook Nutria, and I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is Nutria? She's like, it's this rodent that they eat there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like Googling, where can I buy Nutria? <laughs> I love it. That's what she told you. you need <laughs> She's, to like, <laughs> She's like, yeah, they cook Nutria and they do this and they do that. And I'm thinking about, okay, what if I have to make beignets? What, what if that's a challenge? And what if, so I'm thinking about all these possibilities and everything that you think that is common sense they would actually do in the show, they didn't do. Mm. I mean, we had to cook gumbo and I'm like, and Leah Chase was the judge. Oh God! And I thought I was doing the coolest thing, and I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna be making this." And she's like, "Honey, this is not gumbo." She's like, <laughs> "What did you do?" I I can't remember, but I don't I don't I don't think I put even rice. <laughs> but You're like, there's some nutria in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I put it. I don't. No, I don't. I don't think I put rice. I, I was trying to like go anti gumbo just to make a mark. Mm-hmm. And she was just like very traditional. She's like, "This is not." This is not gumbo. Yeah. Were you just like shattered? I mean, what's it yeah, like when Leah well, Chase tells you you didn't make gumbo, right? <laughs> I was just um, petrified because she is such a, you know, sweet woman, but she's she tells you how it is. Mm-hmm. We became pretty close after that. And I remember she came in to compel a pen for dinner. And she called. She's like, I'm going to come in for dinner tonight. Are you going to be there? And I said, yes, I'm going to be there. And I remember I was so stressed out because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm cooking for Leah Chase. I'm like, she's probably making notes and she's probably gonna sit me down at the end of the meal and say, this was wrong, this was overseas, and this was, you know, because you just never know. Yeah. And she was so complimentary. Really? And she just said, "I'll I'll never forget that she says, I'm rooting for you. She's like, you have to make it. She's like, you have to succeed. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you have to make it. You have to succeed. You have to like blow people away. And she's like, it's not, it's not easy. And she's like, you're a woman, you're a woman of color. She's like, you have to push through, you have to make it. And I'm like, okay, back to the kitchen I go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that the first time you had cooked for her since the gumbo, yeah. non-gumbo yeah. incident? And she's, she's just, I just loved her energy and mm. just the way she, she just knew so much. She just knew everything about New Orleans and she could tell, she reminded me so much of my, of my grandmother, to be mm-hmm. honest, because she went through the same hardships, but she really, she made it. And, you know, we went to her funeral and most of her staff have been with her for 35 plus years. Oh. And every story is so unique and so different. And I remember there was one lady, who, she, she still works there, she's a waitress. And she says, I remember the first day that I worked with Miss Lear. I came to the kitchen 
And she's like, I didn't know where anything was. And I was asking a bunch of questions. And she's like, Leah's like, I'm going to show you where everything is. And you're going to stop asking me questions. You need to figure it out. And she's like, okay. And she just, she's like, I remember Leah just running circles around everybody. And she's like 60 at that time. Mm -hmm. And she tells her husband at the time, she's like, can you put this flower up on the shelf? And I guess he forgot about it or something. And she just picked it up and just threw it on the shelf. And she was just like, she's like, I don't have time for this. I'm just going to do it myself. <laughs> but she was just that, that kind of person that she... She was just very strong-willed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever get to witness her in the kitchen, like in action? You know, it's when I moved to New Orleans. She, I mean, she she wasn't that mobile, but you know, people say she's always in the kitchen. I'm like, there's no way she's always in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I remember there was one day I came by and I brought her some flowers. And I'm like, is Miss Leah back there? And they're like, yeah, she's in the kitchen. And there she is, in her wheelchair in the kitchen. I'm like, you gotta retire. <laughs> and she's like, no. She's like, I gotta be in the kitchen. And every time I go, she is there. Yeah. And I think that's what kept her life for so long because that's something that she loved. And she just, that was just her life. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, you're, I'm like, you're 90 something years old. You're just, they have it. They got it. And yeah. she's like, no, no, I want to be in the kitchen. And she did she did what she loved till the end, mm -hmm. which is pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And then, and she changed the entire landscape of cooking in New Orleans. And then, you know, it's just, I mean, what was, I guess I'm also curious what it was like coming coming there you know yeah. you've done this top chef thing yeah. you had your gumbo incident you, right and then you're like all right i'm moving to new orleans yeah. like i'm gonna bring this like a culture that you had already that was so strong right into a city that already has like such a strong and kind of insular culture mm -hmm. i mean what was that like to come onto that landscape and be like oh i'm opening a restaurant well it's it's funny because when we knew that we were going to open a restaurant i'm like i think we'll be okay mm -hmm. and then um an article came out before we opened. It says Nina Compton opens a restaurant. Is opening a restaurant in the warehouse district, and it was this big, big article in the local paper. And I'm like, oh my gosh! I'm like, they're making it. I'm like, they're making this a big thing. I'm telling my husband, I'm like, what are we gonna do? I'm like, I was trying to come under the radar, like you know, just open a restaurant very quietly. And when we got there, we didn't know anybody. Mm -hmm. We didn't know not a single soul, and. We would go to different restaurants and the chefs would come to the kitchen and they'd be like, they're like, oh chef, you know, welcome to the city. We're so happy to have you. You know, if you need help with anything, like finding purveyors, like let me know, you know, we'll talk to anybody, like just to help you out. And I'm just like, this is kind of strange that everybody's so nice and so helpful. Um, yeah, like, are they about to punk? Me? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. But it that's just how they are. Wow. And people were, thanking us for opening a restaurant in New Orleans and like thank you for coming to the city and you know doing something different and people sent us flowers and cards opening night and it was just really nice wow. and I think that says a lot about a city where they they're confident and they're also very secure that you know even if 10 new restaurants open up mm -hmm. that if you, if you are able to back it up then you have nothing to worry about mm -hmm. you know because everybody shares the wealth and everybody is very supportive. Um, and that's the biggest thing when we opened a restaurant was to support the locals. You know, uh, it is a very transient city, mm -hmm. but the focus was identifying locals and making sure that when they come to the restaurant, we recognize them and make them feel like, you know, thank you for coming back. Cause there's hundreds of restaurants that you can go to every single night. Mm -hmm. You don't have to come back here three times a week, but they do. And I love that. Yeah. So I think that's something you really have to appreciate. And a lot of people, I would say they don't 
do that. And I think that's when you make people feel like, oh, welcome back. Do you want your usual glass of, you know, Sauvignon Blanc? That goes a long way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we really practice every day. Yeah. And does it seem like most of the restaurants that open there are more catering towards the tourists and the people that are coming briefly? Or is it? I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. You know, you definitely feel a jump when it's a convention in town. Mm -hmm. Um, But the locals definitely, people eat out a lot in New Orleans and they they'll have breakfast and they're like, what are we having for lunch? Where are we going for lunch? And then they'll be at lunch like, where are we going for dinner tonight? It's like, and they're very friendly and they're very open. Like if you're at a bar just having a casual drink and somebody, you overhear somebody talking, like you're not intruding, but you just chime in and it, it becomes like this very contagious, you know, share of, of sharing of knowledge. Like, oh, well, have you been to this restaurant? You should check it out. You know, they're open, you know, five days a week or they're closed to stay, but check it out. You should go on, Tuesdays because they're doing a fish fry, you know. Mm-hmm. So those things, I, I think that it's just about it's not keeping everything to yourself, but it's like sharing because mm-hmm. they're proud of the city and what and what we do. Mm-hmm. And why did you choose New Orleans as your location in the first place? It it just it spoke to me, mm-hmm. you know. I think it it's a very special place where everybody's welcome. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody is is left out. It's all type of people. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no judgment. It's just you have a good attitude, you take care of people, and they t- they'll take care of you back. Yeah. And have there been particular chefs there that have, you know, been mentors for you? or that A lot of them. Yeah. You know, Donald Link is, is a very dear friend. Emerald's a dear friend. Um, you know, Leah Chase, they were, I mean, everybody really was very helpful, mm-hmm. you know, helping us along the way. And it's still a very tight community now mm-hmm. where, you know, chefs say, hey, I'm doing this event. Do you want to help out? And uh, 20 people just sign me up. I'm in. And that's the great thing where there is no judgment or like, what do I get out of it? It's more like, I'm going to help you out because you're my friend and whatever you need. Mm-hmm. And then, so when you did open Compare Le Pen, like, you know, you're bringing this very specific vision that mm-hmm. you had to this restaurant and to the city, you know, but you did kind of incorporate some local elements too. Yes. Like, how did you sort of find the balance between like, okay, I'm in New Orleans, this steeped in history, mm-hmm. steeped in culture city that's unlike anywhere else. Right. But I'm bringing this very specific restaurant idea. You know, how did you sort of put together the menu and the concept in a way that felt like of where you came from, but right. also of where you well, were? Well, I, I think it was, it was just a, a very natural progression. It was the focus of using local farms and having a connection with those farmers. You know, I think that having somebody come in like, I have this farmer that I actually, I have a crush, she's my woman crush. <laughs> uh, she'll come in and she's, you know, she'll come in like her, her sons will bring me, you know, bushels of, of vegetables. And mm-hmm. she's like, she's always so busy. And I'm like, Michelle, let's have a cup of coffee. She's like, no, no chef, I don't have time, I don't have time. <laughs> but she comes in and her produce is beautiful. And when you have that physical connection with somebody where they come in and it's like, you know, here's my vegetables, here's my tomatoes, here's, and you can have an interaction with somebody and taste that tomato, and you can taste the love that she puts into it. So for me, that was just a natural progression of developing the menu with those people that I have a friendship with. So after only a few years of having Compare Pen, and you just went and opened up another restaurant, mm-hmm. what, what was the, like, why were you like, okay, this is, it's time, you know? It was, I was quite content having just the one. Yeah. But, you know, my, my sous chef at the time, Levi Rains, who basically moved to New Orleans to help me open a restaurant, we never worked together. Mm. It was kind of blind faith where I knew his chef at the time, and I'm like, listen, I'm opening a restaurant, and 
he's like, oh, well, you know, I have I have somebody that is actually, you know, looking looking for a job, and I'm like, well, I don't have a sushi position, but I have a cook's position, and you know, we talked on the phone, and I'm Levi's like, I'll be there on Monday, and I'm like you're coming on Monday he's like yeah I'll drive up on Monday and I'm like okay he came he came and we chatted for a while and he said to me he's like you take care of me and I'll take care of you and I was, that was our, like our handshake agreement yeah and once we got into the kitchen you know it he was just so far advanced than anybody I've worked with and you know as time went on I said I'm like would you want to be the chef de cuisine he's like I want to have my own place and I said okay and I'm like you know he's he's young he's 20 24 so I'm like, I'm like, I went home to my husband. I'm like, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, we're going to lose Levi. What are we going to do? And he's like, oh, he's like, we'll be fine. And I'm like, no, Larry. I'm like, we need to find him. We need to find him a space. And we looked, I would say for a good two solid years. Oh, wow. And we had this whole, initially uh, this whole vision of a Creole cottage, you know, just a, just a, like a nice, cozy little house. Mm-hmm. And we looked and we were so obsessed with that. And then... We just couldn't find the right place. And I'm like, okay, we need to just broaden our horizon just a little bit and just see what else we want to do. And we looked at like art studios that we could convert to a restaurant. And then we looked at other places and then what area do you want to be in? And we looked at a, an old cooking school and we looked at so many things and we we were just getting exhausted. I told my husband, I'm like, I'm, like, I'm about to throw in a towel. I'm like, we're just not finding a space. Yeah. And I, I don't want to dangle the carrot any longer. Like, right. So that the there's actually there was a restaurant space in our apartment building mm-hmm. on the ground floor and my husband was like, What about this space? And I'm like, No, I'm like I'm like those owners seem really happy, they're busy, they seem to be doing well. Like I don't wanna like rock the boat with them and he's like, I'm just gonna ask them anyway. <laughs> so he goes to the owners and he says, Hey, what what do we do like if somebody wanted to buy you out, would you be content of just walking away? And there was already a restaurant. There, there was a restaurant. Yeah. They were functioning. <laughs> was, they were yeah. busy. Yeah. They had been there, been there for almost five years. Uh-huh. And they're like, well, it depends on, you know, who wants to buy us out. And like, well, what if it's us? <laughs> and they're like, okay. And they're like, let's sleep on it. And then they came back the very next day and they said, okay, this is our number. And uh, let's negotiate things. Oh, wow. And... It took a, quite some time like getting everything finalized and getting the keys handed over. But it was just, it was actually, a, a, it was very special because it was the three of us combining our vision together. And I remember when we were getting close to opening, we sat on the couch and we looked at the kitchen, the lights were on, and we just had a, a moment all together. And we just like, look at this little space that we built. Mm-hmm. Like we painted this, we, we picked the paint, we did all these things. And when you see those things come together, it was just a beautiful moment for us. Yeah. And you did it in the Bywater, which is kind of a, I mean, tell me about that neighborhood a little bit, because it's, it's kind of its own unique little yeah, place within the, New Orleans. Well, we live there. Yeah. That's where we live from day one. Right. Um, the Bywater, it's a special little place because it's, um, it's so, like, unique. Mm-hmm. You know, everywhere in New Orleans, every neighborhood is so different. Like, you go to the, the Garden District. And you go to Uptown, that's a different vibe. And then you go to the Bywater, it's like all the buildings are different. Everything is just very different. And uh, we just love the feel of it. Like it's not too frou-frou, but it's like people have a fun time and there's, there's tons of things to do. And like Frenchman Street is right down the street so you can go have like live music. And it's, it's just it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that you have 
both spots? Yeah. Are you like splitting your time between the two? Are you letting um, Levi pretty well, much? Well, Levi hold? pretty much has a handle on everything. Yeah. Um, but I do try and go back and forth and and check in. You know, it it is hard because they're both both busy restaurants. Mm-hmm. I also have staff that are jealous. They're like, "Chef, you're always going to Babs," and I'm like, "I gotta go to Babs," and I'm like. Then I, if I go to compare, they're like, you're always at compare. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't please you guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. let me just live my life. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming in. And yeah, it was my pleasure. Yeah. It was so nice to finally get yeah. a chance to sit down in person. <laughs> just was totally, kept it totally chill the whole time. <laughs> Delaney, I got to say, um, I'm a bit intimidated. Intimidated? Just by my presence, or <laughs> yeah, any, just anything you. in particular? You're a lot of man. Uh, no, you have like not one but two sheet trays. You've got measuring cups, those like slanted OXO ones with yeah. the measurements on the side and spouts. You've got a thing of ice. You have a mixer. You have two bottles of Miller High Life, and it's like 4:02 p.m. That's I think the appropriate time. So these are three three drinks to make. Yes. Before summer ends. Before summer ends. We're, we're in the 11th hour right now. Yeah, right. Seriously? I mean, no it's joke. It's winding down. All right. What I do like about this spread you got, you got a lot of ice. It's yes. hot as hell out today. It's yes. going to be 93 tomorrow. I need something cold. Yeah. So what, what Everyone do we, What are we, we starting with? Okay. So you may be familiar with the name uh, Emily Schultz. She works for us oh, here EMP. at this magazine. EMP, yes. She and I were recently in Baltimore. Wait, question. Yes. Emily Schultz is, that's her handle on Instagram or is that her, on our Slack or something? Or where does the EMP mean? What's the P? Oh, I think she, her her middle name is Pearl. Oh. P, P is, uh, okay. is for All Pearl. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's vital information for everyone that listens to the <laughs> podcast. But she's a, she's she's a um, she's a drinks enthusiast. She is she is. So so Emily and I were both at Wet City, which is a brewery slash bar in Baltimore, Maryland, and we had a couple hours to kill before dinner. And we we arrived at this place, and we both got a beer, and we're looking at the menu, and at the bottom of the you know like the little happy hour card that they kind of just like place on the bar, and it has the specials, and it's like two dollars off. A pint of whatever between yeah. five and seven. It often gets neglected. No one really looks at that, I feel like. But at the bottom, there was something that just said spaghetti, spaghetti without the I. So spaghetti, $5. And you're, and, and you're like, uh, I mean, what gotta it, order that, yeah, right? I mean, like, even, yeah, even if I'm like, if I ask the bartender and he's like, well, it's some ridiculous thing, I'm like, I'm still gonna order. It's called spaghetti. So we order two of them. And the bartender plops down a bottle of Miller High Life. And yeah, I'm, good and start, I'm just good like, start so far. Okay, yeah. And then he drains a little bit off the top and throws some Aperol and some lemon juice in it and just pushes it across the bar. And did, I was kind of- Did he say anything? He Yeah, he's like, this is what spaghetti is, and then did it. And Emily and I are both sitting there, and we're like, okay, yeah, very into this entire situation. So- that's what we're gonna do right now. Okay, we, oh, let's do the open, open. I was gonna. By the I microphone. also, yeah. This is like a lot of, uh, a lot of. Oh my gosh! All right. So the first step is you open your preferably a bottle of High Life, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't need to be High Life though, as long as it's an American lager that is not a light lager. It has to be like a, you know. A, a bud, a regular Budweiser. Can we, not, can we not use the word lager? Can we just say an actual beer, a regular beer, <laughs> a beer, an yes. American beer, an American beer? Sure. No craft nonsense. Not an IPA. And also, the, the one, the one great reason why you do use 
a bottle of Miller High Life, is that because the bottle of Miller High Life is the best bottle ever made? Yes, absolutely. I mean, look at that label. Or so you take a sip. Yeah, so you take okay. a sip also. <sighs> so you got to clear a little bit of space in there. Yeah, how much space do we want? Like, is it so two sips? You're one large sip, I would okay. say. So you went to the below the the, the, the X label, top yes. the neck, or a yes. little, little below that. I poured, I meased this out, so there's two ounces of lemon juice here. Pour half of that, and I will pour okay. the other half. Does it matter if you go lemon or, or Aperol first? I have been doing lemon first and then Aperol, just because I think Aperol is a little bit heavier, mm. and it'll push, okay. it'll yeah. sink down yep. uh, and more evenly distribute. It's also like, this isn't this isn't dogmatic here. No. It's like, know yourself. You know what I mean? If you want something that leans more Aperol-y, yeah. go in favor of the Aperol. If you want something that leans more tart, go in favor of the lemon. I'm, gonna say I'm probably more of a lemon guy. I find Aperol can go too sweet sometimes. That's fair. Oh, my God. And then let's talk right? about why it's called spaghetti. Okay. So, for, I don't know. There's probably a very small fraction of our podcast listeners that also, at some point in their life, watched the Tim and Eric show. Spaghetti is actually a reference from the Tim and Eric show. Okay, so I didn't know this. Yeah, but if you look at the color of it, yes, and we filled it, we blend them all. It looks like yeah. looks like spaghetti sauce, kinda, spaghetti sauce. It yeah. kind of does. Yeah. Also, another reason to use the High Life bottle, it's clear, yeah, and exactly. it just looks ten times. Well, you had yeah, that's a good, really good reason. You don't want a brown bottle or a green no, bottle. No, 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 no. You want to see this like rose gold. Yeah. And obviously, the more Aperol you use, the more spaghetti yes. it's gonna look. For those that are worried about how this is going to photograph. All right, let me try this now. Yeah. Oh, right. It's like high life, but better. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. It's the perfect combination of the spritz that you want late summer, the cold, cold ice beer that maybe with you, a couple ice cubes actually in the beer. Yeah, I might do it in the bottle. I might, you know, what I might do. I might drink half of it in the bottle, and then pour the second pour the half, second over, half ice. over ice. That's really nice. I'd support that. I like it because also. As much as I love the High Life bottle, Miller High Life can be a little skunky tasting sometimes, and That's this fair. sort of gives a nice little acidic bite to it. Yeah. Have you ever done it with Campari instead of Aperol? I have. So I've actually done. I, I'm the person that has like 40 bottles of Amari and yeah. Aperitivi. Uh, I've read about it. <laughs> bon oh, you have you? Yeah. So yeah, I've I've been subbing in tons of different uh, stuff just to see what works. It definitely works with Campari. Mm -hmm. You just have to go a little lighter on the lemon juice because there's more bitterness in Campari mm, okay. uh, than there is in Aperol. But it's also really great with Chinar. You can still go one to one with the Chinar. It's awesome. Chinar is one made from artichokes. Yeah, it's like low. It's like sixteen percent Italian, like classic Italian uh, artichoke Amaro. Yeah, good label. Great label. Green bottle. Mm -hmm. Attractive all around. Love this drink. Love the color of yeah. it. This is like a cool party drink. If you're having friends over, you serve a bunch. You open up a bunch of these. You're like, hey guys. Oh yeah. Like open up the cooler. There's there's 24 bottles of High Life there, and then a bottle of Aperol, a bottle of pre-squeeze yeah, pre -squeeze lemon. I would say this. I, what I would do is yeah, have them. If you if you if you're outside and you've got like a Coleman cooler just stocked with ice, and these bottles are as cold as they can get, or I would throw the bottles in the freezer for like. 10 yeah. minutes beforehand just so they're nice and ice cold. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's actually pretty wild how so we we wrote this as a highly recommend on bonapti.com uh, maybe like 3 weeks ago and the amount of people that are are making this already and tagging yeah. us on Instagram um, is actually pretty wild. And it's like people our, are into it. It was also like our most trafficked story of the month. Yeah. Which is not, we did not expect so that to be the most can, traffic. So story. yeah, so spaghetti, just spell spaghetti without yeah. an I, and do bon appetit. Google that, and yeah, it's part of our daily highly recommend column, which the uh, all the editors write about places they're eating, 
drinks they're drinking, foods they love, etc. Um, check it out. Highly recommend. Bon appetit. All right. Yeah. Plug is done. Let's do plug. That is was done. delicious. Love it. What's drink number two? All right. Number two is kind of when we talk about like simple cocktails. Hardly ever do we talk about new cocktails, right? Like there, there are always cocktails that have been around f- since yep. the '40s or the '50s. On or, Manhattan, exactly, exactly. So this cocktail was invented in 2006 by Katie Stipe. She's a, a New York City bartender, pretty legendary, um, and it's called the Siesta. Was it? Was was there any debate that she invented it? Did someone else say, "No, oh, I used to do blah blah blah"? This blah. well, I'm. Sh- there's always going to be someone who says that, but she is credited as inventing this. Cocktail. Okay. Um, and so, so the siesta is a tequila-based cocktail. I'm gonna try and. Do you have a, is, that a, is that a Boston shaker there? That is a Boston shaker, two part with the strainer. This is a tequila-based cocktail, and it's kind of a mix between um, a Paloma and a Hemingway daiquiri. Hmm. I like I like where you're going yes. with this. You're so ta- you're taking me down to the tropics, to the Gulf forward. of Mexico. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Also, I feel like there's going to be some oh, more. Yeah. The altitude's uh, ice. Shit. We got ice ASMR. going into a shaker. Go. Oh. Oh, a little too much, a little too much. All right, so basically you want to fill a shaker with ice, and then you're going to do, I'm, I doubled the recipe here. So normally it would be two ounces of tequila, we're doing four. And you're doing awesome. tequila blanco? Blanco, silver. yeah. Yep. What was that? I'm just trying to get... That was also tequila. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of tequila in this. Any type of tequila you're drinking um, these days? It, yeah, you definitely want to keep it blanco. You don't want to go for a reposado or anything like that. Reposado. Uh, a reposado, sorry. Um, añejo. None of that. Or añejo, yeah. Uh, none, of, none of the aged stuff. And then you're going to do... A little bit of grapefruit juice, so it's three quarters uh, of an ounce of grapefruit juice. I doubled it. Okay. And then a little bit of lime juice, and that's also, uh, that's one ounce of lime juice. And then, this is where it kind of, so here we're like in pretty much in the margarita ye yeah. Palomi territory. Then you add half an ounce of Campari. So, mm. And the Campari adds this bitterness to it, a little bit of that like orangey aspect, and it's kind of a game changer. So always shaken. Also, if there's fresh juice in a cocktail, always shaken. You never stir a cocktail with fresh juice and it it never gets evenly distributed. It'll never get that frothy, beautiful, Mm. super cold tropical character that you want. And shake until it is quite cold. So I don't know, Emma, if this is going to blow out the... How did you decide that that was enough? That this was enough? Yeah. I mean, you can fit when it starts to get like so cold that your hands can kind of not really take it anymore. And that the entire shaker is frosted it over. totally be frosted. Yeah. yeah. Um, now let's see if we can get this. Yep. Okay. And then I think you're going to want ice cubes for this. I love this cocktail because you can drink it straight up. Or with ice. Okay. It's really and your if you're going to drink it straight up, it might be in a nice pretty little coupe glass or something. Yes, correct. We have a couple a uh, couple of rocks glasses here. So yeah. I'll give you some ice. And it's that like nice pink color. Oh, it's gorgeous. Look at that. So summery. Yeah. 
And usually this is done with like a, a lime wedge as a garnish. Mm-hmm. I like to double down on the grapefruit, just oh. like a nice little grapefruit peel. So it's a peel, not a wedge. You could, yeah. you could do you a wedge could do, if you, you want. You could do yeah. a wedge as well, yeah. Uh, the color is kind of magical. Isn't it? Yeah, because it's, it's like a, a really intense pink. Yeah, it's the, the grapefruit and the Campari uh, doing their work. All right, I'm going to take a sip of this. Do it. I have thoughts. It's interesting because the grapefruit and the Campari, I think, together somehow suggest saltiness. Like when you get salt on the rim of a sure. margarita, but there's no salt in here. No salt. Hmm. <laughs> what mysterious forces are right, I'm gonna say I'm going to say this. I don't know. I I would I would maybe like a lime wedge. I want a little bit of that lime lime instead of grapefruit. Yeah, that sort of to zip it up. I, I mean, it's delicious. I would also, I might. Eh, I don't know. I, I was thinking about whether or not, like a Paloma, would, would I want to spritz it up with a little club you, soda? You absolutely could. What I like about spritz and club soda. I mean, I spritz everything, but <laughs> you do spritz everything. I do. In the summertime, it's nice because it extends the drink. Yeah. So instead of having a four ounce drink, you could have a six or eight ounce drink. For sure. And if you're just kind of hanging out outside on a deck or whatever, it's nice to just not pound a drink in four minutes and be like, oh, totally. Wow. Okay. I guess I'm having another drink. Totally. I feel like this is, it, this has a, um, it's a bit more grown up than like, because it doesn't have the sweetness of a, of a margarita. No. Um, and this is also the thing about the siesta. You can, you can do simple syrup in it, mm-hmm. right? And that's what honestly most people do for the sake of time. I didn't <laughs> did not have time to do the simple syrup. Um, I think it functions almost as well without it, but it's a way more assertive. Well, two things. I would maybe do a, a. I don't like overly sweet drinks. I maybe do a, a suggestion of simple syrup. Yeah. Also, I think what also can influence the drink's flavor is depending, especially in the in the winter, you can get some really sweet, juicy uh, oh, yeah. grapefruit for sure, and that very much would affect. The flavor, and I would obviously yeah. never use cartoned grapefruit juice. No, always fresh. Um, but yeah, so I might do it. It depends on the, the 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 sweetness of the grapefruit juice might inform how much simple syrup I would for sure add or not for sure. And that's also the thing about like simple syrup. People, it's funny when you make a cocktail for someone and you hand it, you know, across the bar, or you make it for two different people, and someone will be like, "This cocktail is way too sweet," and someone will be like, "This cocktail isn't sweet enough." Yeah. The thing about cocktails is like people are very rigid about recipe, but it's also so much about personal preference. Uh, all right, third drink because okay. I, I do have a job. <laughs> Can't be sitting around drinking <laughs> you do, with you. You, should, and, yeah. you don't sit in the, in the studio all day. Record the pot. I have like a really annoying meeting to go to at four thirty. Okay, so the last the last cocktail I am not going to make. That's we did not have a. <laughs> wow! I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to open this bag of cheese. The last Ready? cocktail is a bag of Cheez-Its. Yeah. <laughs> Emma's making a face like that sounded terrible. Mm. Cheez-Its. Want some? Okay, mm. what's the last cocktail? Okay, so the last cocktail is in no way an official cocktail. It has never been written about. Huh. It has never been put on a bar menu. That's, that's because it's what I drink at my desk at maybe 6 p.m. when everyone's leaving the office and I'm still here. I'm calling it the Lil Ripper. Um, <laughs> you're, six, you're like, six, why did I invite this? Are guy? you being honest about six p.m. or is that? Is no, that... I mean, like six is like six could be five. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> also, there, I will say this. In all fairness, well, a, you know, drinking is part of our literally part of our it jobs. Is. Um, also, 
5 p.m. in December is very different than 5 p.m. in August. Oh, at, also, 5 p.m. in August, this office is... Yeah, yeah. We don't have coworkers. So, anyways, all right. So, what's what's okay, what's the so little ripper? The little ripper is it's also something that I either start when I'm cooking. I either start or end my my entire cooking and or meal with. So it's literally a small glass, maybe six ounce glass, filled to the top with ice. About an ounce and a half, two ounces of again, individual serving club soda has to be super super bubbly, super mm-hmm. carbonated. Also, uh, I will say this. I have a lot of thoughts about club yeah. soda. Always keep your club soda cold. Always. That affects the carbonation and the density of the bubbles and everything. Absolutely agree. And then a little bit of whatever aperitivo I'm I'm feeling at the moment. Like right now is what? Like right now it is Forte Red, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, an aperitivo, a bitter orange aperitivo that's made in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. Okay. Um, but the night before it was Leopold Brothers from Denver. Okay. Uh, their aperitivo. So a, a little splash, like you're not going heavy on either the club soda or the aperitivo. Again, maybe like an ounce, an ounce and a half. Uh, and then a squeeze of lemon juice, lemon rind, and a crushed green olive, and that's it. It's aperitivo and soda, but just as much soda as aperitivo as lemon juice, lemon rind, olive. It's the perfect little palate cleanser. It's amazing. It's Okay, so I'm with you. <laughs> I assume... That the the olive, the brininess of the olive serves a, serves a similar purpose as salt on the rim of a margarita, yes. and introduces some saltiness to balance the acid and, and sweetness. Sure, and and that's also some in Italy, I guess. I don't never do this, but sometimes you do an olive with is it a uh, a Campari soda or a Negroni yeah. or yeah, yeah that's yeah, what yeah, I mean. totally. So yeah, it's not unheard of. Totally, and also just like a classic Aperol spritz, in yeah. my opinion, that's always I mean, yeah. a green olive, always. Yeah, I think you're insane. But. Oh, it needs it. That's it. all right. So my whole thing about about this drink, right? And we talk about this with cooking at BA all the time, is that it's everything's about balance, right? It's like yes. you can't have a, a dish that's all acid. You can't have a dish that's all sugar. You can't have a dish that's all salt, right? They they have to play off each other, and they have to balance each other. You get this product that is a balanced, complete expression of whatever you're, you're trying to cook, right? And that should always be the same ideal with cocktails, like. With the the little ripper, right? You've got the sweetness of the aperitivo. You've got the bright liveliness of the soda. You have the acid of the lemon juice, and then you have the brininess of the olive. Like it's it's very simple, but they're just all there. They're all playing with each other. Super super simple, super balanced little ripper. Do you only make this for yourself, or do you ever make this for <laughs> for friends or, oh, or no. special someone? Well, but if by special someone you mean. Uh, Alex Beggs and Christina Che, who sit close to me, I've made little rippers for them. Mm. They have drained them, come back and request that I make another. Not surprising. Not surprising. At home, I, I will make it for my, my roommate, Greg Costanzo. <laughs> Your special someone. My special someone, Greg. And then, yeah, yeah, the the woman that I'm currently dating, I've made one for her as well, and she she has been into it. Okay, so... That recipe you can't. You not are we are we on? Is that is that recipe going to be published on Bonapetit? It will. It will be published on Bonapetit. All right. So keep an eye out for the little ripper, the spaghetti you can find on Bonapetit. Highly recommend. That came out a few weeks ago. And then what about the siesta? Siesta. We have an official recipe for the siesta at Bonapetit.com. And then I also did a kind of an ode to the siesta uh, article maybe last year. Um, and that is also on bonempty.com. I missed that one. (laughs) It's kind of required reading, so... uh... All right, I'll get on that. Uh, Alex Lenny, thanks for the drinks. Thanks, Adam. 
The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wurtzman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.